We've always said this campaign was never about buildings. It was about people. It was, it is, it always will be. So, welcome to the Hills. My name is Rick. If you're watching online, if you're at Southlake Campus or at West Fort Worth Campus, I'm so thrilled that you're with us this weekend. Uh, what we're doing is we are examining statements of Jesus himself on why he came. Because a lot of people want to hijack the mission of Jesus for their own agenda. So we're just letting Jesus set the plate and speak for himself why he came. And so if you were here last time, you heard a powerful word from Taylor Walling on one of those statements. But you also heard the young man mock me. (laughs) Me who has never been anything but good to him. He made fun of my dance moves. And so all week long, people have been asking, are you going to retaliate? Are you going to get back at Taylor? Let me just make it clear. I am above that kind of thing. I don't make fun of people who preach on a scooter, okay? (laughs) I mean, the boy still rides his trike at church, okay? When he grows up, maybe I will respond. So let me begin with a story that happened in Chicago last uh, spring at a grill called Trifecta Grill. And a waitress there named Elena Binge uh, realized they were short on staff. They needed a busboy. So she said, I'll call my dad. He's retired and has a lot of time on his hands, nothing to do. So on a whim, he said, okay, and showed up, put on an apron. He'd only been there five minutes when an elderly woman began to choke. He immediately responded, did the Heimlich and some other procedures, and literally saved her life. Because Elena's father is named Dr. Bill Binge. He was a retired Harvard-trained cardiologist. Now, that story has some things like the mission of Jesus. The one big difference. Jesus didn't randomly show up. He didn't just happened to be in a place where he could save. He didn't come because he had nothing better to do. But he came because there was nothing better he could do. He came to seek and to save. And those aren't my words. They are his. So in the Gospel of Luke, as you get toward the end, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to go to a cross But we have this remarkable story in chapter 19. I want you to follow along with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son 
of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, side note. For the rest of the sermon, I'm going to call him Zach. Because that was his nickname. And that's what everyone called him back then, okay? And what does Jesus say? What are the words from Jesus' own mouth? Why did he come? The king came on a search and rescue mission. Now, it's significant in the chapter just before, there's another guy that wants to see Jesus. And everybody just assumes Jesus would want to see this guy. I mean, this guy was moral. This guy was respectable. This guy was religious. And this guy was wealthy too, but his wealth came from honest means. Now, Zach is the complete opposite. He's not just a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. Only time that word's used in the New Testament. And what that means is he's got a lot of money. Now, he might be short on height, but he's not short on cash. But in the eyes of all the people, he's short on many other things as well. He's short on character. He's short on virtue. He's short on respect. And he's definitely short on friends. Now, he's not short on enemies, but he's definitely short on friends. And so what surprises everyone is not that Zach would want to look at Jesus. No, what surprised everyone is that Jesus would want to look at Zach. In fact, Jesus said, I want to look for Zach because my mission is to seek and to save. There's an old story about a holy man out by a flooding river. And there is a branch or a root of a tree extending over that water. And on it is a scorpion about to be swept away by the water. So the holy man is leaning down trying to rescue the scorpion. But every time he reaches for him, the, the scorpion tries to sting him. And someone walks along and watches for a moment and says, You fool! Don't you know it is the nature of a scorpion to sting? And the holy man responds, yes, but it is my nature to save. And should I change my nature just because the scorpion will not change his? And that's how Jesus explained why he had time for people like Zach. Remember when the angels spoke to the shepherds? The night Jesus was born, and they said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, He is the Messiah, and He is the Lord. But it wouldn't be good news unless He was also the Savior. See, Jesus is the original seeker. He came looking for people who were not even looking to be found. John spent three years, night and day, just watching Jesus and reflecting on it. He said later, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. The King came on a search and rescue mission. Now, we got to unpack that because that has two huge implications. And the first is not popular. That people really are lost. 
and among many Christians and churches today, lost has become a four-letter word. And we just don't use it. It seems too judgmental. So we will refer to people as unchurched or on a journey or seeking. See, almost anybody will admit to being a sinner. But nobody wants to admit to being lost. Because lost implies you are not where you ought to be. And in fact, where you are puts you in danger. And I think one of the great tragedies in the church today is that we have lost a theology of lostness. And it has diminished our passion and focus on the mission of Jesus. So I'm going to make an argument that we recover that word. And we have three reasons. Number one, because lost is a Jesus word. He's the one that chose it. He's the one that uses it over and over. In Matthew chapter 10, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Chapter 15, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In chapter 18, he tells a story. He said, if you lost one of your sheep, even though you had 99 safe, you'd do anything it took to go find the lost one. When people criticized Jesus for hanging out with people like Zach, he would tell stories about the joy of finding something you've lost. He'd tell a story about a man who lost a sheep, about a woman who lost a coin. And then maybe in the greatest story in literature history, he tells about a son that went off to a far country and threw his life away till he came to his senses. He decided to come home. The father saw him, ran to him, hugged him, kissed him, threw a big party for him. And some complained, especially his older brother. And the father said, we had to celebrate because your brother was lost, but now he's found. Lost is a Jesus word. And second, it's an accurate word. Lost speaks the truth. You see, biblically, to be lost is to be in danger. In March 4, the disciples are on a boat with Jesus at night. Jesus falls asleep. A big storm comes up. And I mean, the boat is starting to sink and they are scared. They wake Jesus up. They say, Master, don't you care that we perish? Same word. That's why if you go to Israel today, you will never find a pack of wild sheep. Because everybody understood in Jesus' day, a lost sheep is about to be a dead sheep. A wolf, a bear, a lion is going to get it. Now, people push back. They don't like the idea that their condition might put them in some kind of spiritual jeopardy. And so we tend to respond by saying, I'm not perfect, but how dare you think I'm short in virtue or character, well, look at me compared to, and we always pick a Zach. And the popular gospel of America is God owes it to good people to save them. Here's the problem. Zach is not the standard. 
The standard is in Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. When it comes to who needs to be found, every name is on Jesus' list. Jesus came to find us because on our own, we will stand before the bar of God and we will be found as coming up short. So he came to earth because our sins would keep us out of heaven. Lost is a word that tells the truth. It's a Jesus word. It's an accurate word. And one more thing. Lost is a love word. Because we only lose what we really value. Now, I don't lose rubber bands or paper clips. No, yeah, maybe I do. But I don't try to find them. But I will tear the house upside down looking for the remote control. (laughs) And you will do the same thing for your cell phone or for your passport. If I'm walking in the parking lot and I drop a penny and it rolls under my car, I'm not getting down on my knees to look under that car for that penny. But one time at an airport, they lost my golf clubs. I thought I needed professional therapy, okay? (laughs) You only lose what really has value to you. Why does Jesus use the word? He's trying to say every single Zach matters to God. And he says, if just one Zach comes home, even if the pen is full of saved people, if just one Zach gets found, heaven cannot contain its joy. And they throw a lot of parties in heaven. You know why? It's true, people really are lost, but Jesus really is good at finding. He really is. So, I expect you to do better than that somewhere later in the sermon. So it says in the text, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus. Notice Jesus knew where he was. Jesus knew who he was. You ever notice that about Jesus? He never needs name cards. Jesus knew exactly where Zach was. Jesus knew exactly who Zach was. And notice, Zach didn't feel worthy to invite Jesus, so Jesus took the initiative and invited himself. And guess what? He still does. Because people do not accidentally find God. They providentially find God. How did you and Jesus meet? You think it was just a coincidence that those neighbors moved down the street when you were a kid? That you got the roommate you did in college? That that third grade Bible school teacher remembered your name every week? That your grandmother read you those stories when you were a child? That your co-worker just happened to invite you to church when you were going through a tough season? You didn't accidentally find God. You providentially found God. God, because Jesus is really good at finding. So, 
John Wesley was preaching a revival. There was a man in town who didn't care about the things of God, but loved the music. So he went to the revival to listen to the music. And when Wesley started to preach, he put his hands over his ears, but there was a fly that kept bugging his. So he wiped the fly away from his nose. And when he did at that moment, Wesley said, he who has ears, let him hear. And he kept listening and gave his life to Christ. Story a little closer to home. Last night I had supper with my good friend, Milton Jones who years ago was preaching in Seattle, a sermon called Put in a Good Word for Jesus. There was a man there named Stanley Ship, a traveling evangelist, who got so convicted by that message that he was on his way to Breckenridge to go ski in a few days. He decided he would ski as a single the whole time so that somebody would have to be on the lift with him and he could put in a good word for Jesus. So he's riding the lift with this one lady and finds out she is from Seattle. And he kept saying, Milton Jones, remember that name, Milton Jones. He lives in Seattle and you need to meet him because he has something to tell you. She forgets all about it, goes back to Seattle. One day at her office, a co-worker says, come to a Bible study with me. She blows it off. The next week she's on the bus. She meets a man. He says, I'm going to a Bible study. Do you want to come? On a whim, she decides to come, and her co-worker is there, along with a young man named Milton Jones. She says, okay, you think I'm crazy, but do you know an old bald-headed man named Stanley who skis? (laughs) Because he says, you've got something to tell me. And Milton shared the gospel. She is now your faithful sister in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is really good at finding. Hey, let me tell you one closer to home. So, a couple of months ago, some members here of our church, part of our jail ministry, go to one of the units and they meet a man who asked that they would go to see his son who has just been arrested and is in a different unit. So they go to see him and they share good news with him and he accepts the message, the good news of Jesus Christ. Then he says, what church are you from? They say, we're from the Hills Church. His eyes began to tear up. He says, you know why I'm in here? I'm in here because I got arrested for vandalizing property at the Hills Church. He vandalized property at our church, so God people sent our church to him to bring him to Christ. Because Jesus is really good at finding people. And by the way, that young man and his father had been separated, and now they've reconciled writing letters to each other, and their big goal is to be released and come to our church together. Because everybody is findable and redeemable. Even Kanye. Can we celebrate that for a second? No one can send themselves beyond the reach of Christ. Listen to Paul. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is why the king came. And that is how the kingdom comes. When you and I intentionally partner with Jesus to find people who are far from God. You see, the kingdom comes when we embrace the cause. There should be a culture of urgency in the church of Jesus Christ. See, that's what that metaphor of a lost sheep did in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, if you told about a lost sheep, everybody perked up because they knew that's important. Now, we don't get that metaphor, so I asked God this, give me another one. And I hope he did. So, 
I'm on a freeway this week. And I hear the siren behind me and the flashing lights. It's an ambulance. So what did I do? Even though I had somewhere to go that was very important. I and everyone else, we pulled off beside the road. The next day, same thing, only this time the ambulance is coming the other way with a meeting in between. And still, we pull off to the side of the road. Now, we had places to go and things to do. But why did we do that? Because in that moment, our agenda doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is saving that life. And yet too often, the church forgets that she is in the life-saving business. A Christian scholar named Larry Taunton a few years ago did a nationwide uh, survey of students in college who were professed to be atheists and asked them why. And one of the chief reasons he got from students were, I know people on campus who claim faith in Christ, but they never talk to me about it. One young man from Dartmouth said, I really can't consider a Christian a good moral person if he isn't trying to convert me. Christianity is something that if you really believe it, it would change your life and you would want to change the lives of others. But I haven't seen too much of that. You know what they're saying? If Christianity is such good news, why do the people that call themselves Christians keep it to themselves? I think most churches are birthed with a passion to see lost people come to Christ. And then what happens almost inevitably is churches begin to grow. And they begin to drift into giving most of their intention to the insiders, to the sheep that are already safe inside the pen. They don't do this with bad motives. It just happens. As churches grow, you have more and more people and they have needs and they have concerns and they have burdens and you want to take care of them. And besides that, lost people don't send emails. The ministers of our church, we don't get emails from lost people saying, please help me. And so, almost inevitably, churches come to a place where they forget why the king came. And a lot of church growth today is just reshuffling people who are already saved. That's why we must be intentional about repeatedly naming and claiming Jesus' mission. The primary goal of our church is not just to be another option for already saved people. Here's what Paul said. For God was in Christ Reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. So we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Here's how I say it. Because we've been found, we have found our cause. Now, please know, I'm not implying that if you're not actively sharing your faith, your salvation is in jeopardy. You are saved because of the blood of Jesus. But the idea that you could go to your grave and never know the joy of seeing someone enter the kingdom because God used you 
burdens me. I want you to know the absolute thrill of seeing someone come to faith in Christ and you can know it was my witness, it was my sacrifice, it was my prayers that that Jesus used to find someone that was lost. I want you to start doing three things. I want you to start just praying that God will increase your burden for the lost. I want you, second, to see your Zach. There's someone in your path. You just have to look up. They're there. And I want you to do one more thing. God has shown me recently. It's really blessed my prayer life. I want you to start praying the Bible over your Zach. Here's what I mean. So maybe I'm in the book of John and Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I might put my Bible down and say, Jesus, would you draw Zach to you today? I'm reading in Acts chapter 8, the Spirit prompted Philip to drop what he was doing and go to a man in a chariot. I'll put my Bible down and say, so Father, would your Holy Spirit today please prompt someone to go talk to my Zach? I'm reading in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. I'll just stop a moment and say, so Father, would your Holy Spirit today please remove the darkness from the eyes of my Zach? So that Zach can see the truth of Jesus. We must not lose our focus on the lost. If we want the kingdom to come. We must embrace the cause. And we must accept the cost. Remember that guy in the chapter before that wanted to see Jesus? And Jesus said, follow me, but first, sell all your stuff. And the guy went away sad when he realized that finding Jesus would mean losing ownership of his wealth. We don't even know his name. But we know Zach's name. He's even got his own song. Now, come on, didn't some of you go to vacation Bible school? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Dude got his own song. Here's what we know. Zach immediately grasped that being found means finding a new purpose for his wealth. Old Zach lived for what he could get. New Zach lived for who he could bless. Because the kingdom comes with a cost. Don't misunderstand. Salvation is free. But taking the good news of salvation to the world is expensive. We need $2.6 million next year just to support our mission works and our church plants around the world. Because salvation is free, but taking the message of salvation to the world is expensive. We need $3 million to immediately start to fix that South Lake campus. If you've been to that campus, that building is an impediment to our mission because of problems that are fixable, but they're expensive. But you know what? People that follow Jesus, they're not short on courage. 
They're not short on sacrifice. When they look into the future, they are not short-sighted. Some years ago at this campus, we wanted to build a youth center. It was going to cost $4 million, and we didn't want to take on debt. We asked the church to give outrageously. At that time, one of our founding members named Francis Anderson looked at that plate. She took off her wedding ring, this sweet old lady. Her daughter said, Mama, you don't have to do that. Francis said, those kids need this a lot more than I do. We are here today in our church because a generation ago, people courageously sacrificed. And we're going to do the same for the next generation. So, one more story. There's a wonderful couple at our West Fort Worth campus named Cedric and Sajeda. And for many years, they longed to be parents. Several years ago at the women's conference, when women wrote out prayer requests before the Lord, Sajeda wrote, Mother of Twins. So last summer, 2018, when we broke ground on the West Fort Worth campus and we asked them to put a request under the cement for the Lord, they put that we'll bring twins to this new campus. God answered their prayer a couple of months ago. Look at this picture. That's Ebby and Alana. And that picture was taken at a dinner we held at the West Fort Worth campus. It's not open yet for worship, but we could have a meeting there. And it dawned on me, those two little precious babies are the first children to ever be inside that campus. But they will not be the last. Because we're people of courage. And if we want to look like Jesus, then like Jesus, we will look for people like Zach. Because Zach is worth it. He didn't know that. He climbed up into a tree because he didn't think he mattered. And a few days later, Jesus will get up on a tree to prove that he did. It's the best known verse in the Bible. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. Whoever is the best word in the Bible. Whoever is Zach. Whoever is you. I'd like everyone to bow your head because I'll finish the prayer, but I want you to pray with me these next few moments. And I'd like you to start this way. I'd like you right now just to pray that God would increase your burden for people that are far from God.
Now let's get specific. Ask God right now to put into your mind the visual image of the face of your Zach. Last thing. Pray a scripture over your Zach. Just ask the Holy Spirit to give you one. Whatever scripture the Holy Spirit gives you, pray that scripture right now over your Zach. One last thing. Take a moment and thank Jesus for finding you. Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that we didn't stumble into the kingdom. Thank you that we didn't drift into the presence of God. Thank you that you came, pursued, sought and found us. And thank you for the privilege of partnering with you to find more. In your name we pray. Amen.